Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Professional Insight Podcast. I think we're we're <laughs> we're episode I think fifteen in in uh, season two. Um, thanks for listening. We think um, I'm sure you guys know. Uh, my name is Brandon Curry. I'm Jeff Collins. Josh Bond and Trevor Lindy. And we have a very uh, distinguished guest, a very good a friend of mine, actually, guest. esteemed guest, a very good friend of mine. We've known each other for a very long time. Uh, Mr. Donald Zeraldo, oh. the godfather of the Canadian wine industry. Nice. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm Thank good. you so much for coming on the show. Sunshining, great for getting right. We're all happy. <laughs> um, Brand Boulevard is one of our sponsors, and uh, they've given you a nice little gift, a parting gift uh, for you, a nice little notebook and a pen. Um, that, that goes to all of our guests, which is uh, one of a little shout out to uh, Brand Boulevard. So, Thanks, boys. Um, a lot of people. Um, we're going to do another episode, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, because there's there's two parts. There's many parts to this man, but there's two major parts to this man. I want to talk about which I think the the other three around around the table know who you are, but just the history. Um, in a skill. You founded Inniskillen. Mm. Co-founded Inniskillen. Carl Kaiser. Who has since passed. Passed in last January. And uh, you both won that award, correct? A few. The few. last one was um, Lifetime Achievement. And I dedicated to Carl. Because he was, he was the genius behind the ice wine. Without him, nice. there would be an ice wine industry in Canada. So, okay. So, we're going to go back. Um, y- it is... The 1970s? What? Yeah, yeah. 70, I finished university at 12, 71, and officially I uh, got the license in July 1975, the first one since Prohibition. So he gets the f- you get the first license since Prohibition, you and Carl. Um, so first, didn't the LCBO laugh at you? So that, that, well, wasn't it general? or Not maybe not the LCBO laughed at you, but they no, just... No, no. Well, what happened? I'll give you a quick show. Yeah. Okay. So I... I Carl Kaiser comes in to buy some grapevines. It didn't taste Canadian. Simple, you know, on the brusca, he's European. Vitis Verifera, it's Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Riesling, all of the classic European varieties as we know them. In Canada, we were growing Concord, Niagara, etc. Things we'd like to not discuss too much because we waste a lot of time and it's history, it's in the past. So we decided to make a little bit of wine. Uh, Carl wanted to plant some grapes to make wine from non brusca tasting grapes. So he came back with a bottle of wine. I was quite impressed. I said, Carl, did you get this? He said, I made it. He said, why don't I make it and you sell it? I said, Carl, this is Canada, not Austria, where you came from. You can't do that. So I packed the suitcase one day, went to Toronto, went to see the liquor board, and the gentleman behind his desk was the same size as this. He didn't laugh, but he said, no, he said, we haven't had another license in 50 years or so, and he said, I don't have an application for him, and ha-ha, <laughs> see you later. Three months later, I get a letter from General George Kitchen, who was a, uh, I'm assuming he was the general of the British Armed Forces mm-hmm. representing Canada. And he said they used to make a lot of wine during the war in Europe. And he would really like to make a decent bottle of wine from Ontario. So he said, if you can do something, go ahead. That was it. That really, it was him. He was, I would say, my first giant mentor. And uh, I guess say the rest is history. So did he help? Oh, to get your license? Uh, or? Well, he, he and uh, a guy named Robert Welsh, who was a deputy minister, mm-hmm. and one day kitchen phone and said, Donald, you can't tell anybody, but he said, I just want to let you know you got the first license since prohibition. But yeah, he, he would press a button, and the other end would be, yes, General, yeah. 
or Mr. Kitchen, nobody ever called him. He's standing six foot three, right, you know. Presence. Uh, yeah, he just had a presence about him. But what impressed me about it, he stepped up from behind his desk when I first met him, walked around and said, let's sit down and chat. That's the kind of guy he was. And yeah, he'd, he'd you know, press a button and say, guys, this guy needs this guy, needs some help with some barrels. Ironically, the barrels were coming from Portugal. The government used to bottle port hmm. in Ontario, which ironically, I ran a port winery for seven years. <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. And then the next big step was the ice wine. So get us to the ice wine. So Carl obviously is from Austria. He's from Austria. So he had experience with ice wine. He did. And Germany is where uh, ice wine was uh, discovered mm -hmm. in the mid-1700s. It was a bit of an accident. Some baron went off to war, came home at Christmas. And they haven't picked the grapes. <clears throat> when he asked the peasants, I call them that, mm -hmm. why didn't you pick the grapes? They said, well, they were here. We didn't, they didn't tell us to pick them. So he said, well, go pick what's left. So they picked it. They were frozen. And they had this Christmas wine. Super. They made Ferrero, and um, so he one day said to me, "I'd like to leave some grapes on the vine to freeze." And I thought he'd been drinking too much. <laughs> <laughs> so we did December third, nineteen eighty-three. I drove in the driveway at the winery, and the grapes were gone. They weren't on the vine anymore. And I, he came in. I came in, and he started yelling at me for picking the grapes. I, said, I didn't pick them. I thought you picked them. He says, "No, I didn't pick them." He got off to a conference, and that night, about a half a meter of snow had fallen, covered all the ground. So, of course, what the birds eat seeds, they drop the ground. So they all big, fat, juicy, ripe grapes in December, cleaned them up completely. So he phoned his buddies back in Austria, Germany, or wherever, and found it, had to cover with them. So we did that in 84, and the first vintage, 1984. Sorry, what was that that you had to what? You had to cover them? Yeah, the yeah. netting. Yeah, yeah. It's a netting that, you know, if you go through the Yeah, get them. Yeah, 100%. There. <clears throat> the birds get pretty hungry. Starlings, even that's a story. They were brought to Central Park from England, and they have no natural predators, so they spread all over North America, and they don't go south for the winter because they don't know so. So they hang out in the old fork plant in... Not really, yeah. Where is it? Niagara Falls? Mm -hmm. Around somewhere between here and the, and the falls. And they actually huddle up like bees do to protect themselves. So they, they're terrible, and you, know, you can't <laughs> hurt them because they're nice, natural little birdies. But they just can do it. So that's Inniskillen. Um, okay, so then you were one of the founders, along with Carl, that started VinCore. Well, that was just a progression from the free trade agreement. We basically got screwed, speaking of the government. Um, the free trade agreement Wait, was... Yeah, the first, the first free trade agreement. Yeah, not the or, or are you talking Kupta? Kufta, like Canada-US one, the very first one, or the second one, NAFTA? 1989. Oh, 89, that would be Kufta, yeah. Kufta? Yeah, the Canadian-US free trade agreement. Just the one with that Those Ronald Reagan. The one. The, the Mulroney yeah, one, right? Yeah, yeah. Not the Kretchen one. Yeah? Or does it matter? doesn't matter. Okay. okay. Either one. It was, it was devastating. In 89. Okay. And what they did is harmonize the markup. So, ah, okay. without getting into detail, they kept the beer industry, because they turned a lot of revenue. And they traded in the wine industry because Ernest and Julio Gallo wanted 20% of the market. I sat in a restaurant, La Scala, and if you remember that, mm. with Ernest Gallo, chairman of the liquor board, a couple of ministers. And he just said, that's what we want. And uh, they negotiated the deal. We got screwed. Uh, the government gave us a, you know, some pennies to compensate. Farmers pull out program. 
So that, you know, that's irrelevant, all of that. But what happened was we decided uh, with our consultants that we were going to be out of business. So I went to California and set up Terra there, uh, still in Napa, <coughs> and uh, thought I'd be there. And then what happened in 91, around the same time, the young man that worked for me from France said I should take the wine and present it at Vin Expo at a competition. And I thought, you're going to take uh, wine from Canada to France? He said, yeah. He said, every time I taste it with people, he said, they go crazy. So you got to take it. So we took it, won a gold medal, along with 108 other gold medals. Wow. And then it went to the University of Bordeaux for the best wine per category. So they had sparkling red table wine, white rosé, and dessert wine. We won the Grand Prix de la best dessert wine in the world. And for your ice wine. For the ice wine. Nice. The 1989 ice wine, which hmm. uh, had a little bit of botrytis, if you know what that is. That's mm -hmm. the mold that forms, creates sauternes. Mm -hmm. So the great sauterne like Chateau Kim has a little bit of that botrytis aroma nose. That was also part of the aromatics of this spectacular ice wine. And I think that's what caught the French's attention. And uh, the Japanese happened to be in uh, <laughs> France that year trying to buy up all the chateaus. Remember in 91, they bought Pebble Beach. They bought yeah, they were buying up a lot of even futures. They're buying futures of Bordeaux, too. Like exactly. just, It was like trading like the stock market. So when they saw this um, award to Canada, coincidentally, all of them showed up at tours in Niagara Falls. They get on a bus, they come to the winery, and boom, picture of me getting the award. And that's how it started. Japan became 65% of our market. Wow. But to go back to the Vincor thing, it was just a, I'm getting, I'm getting all over the place here, but the Vincor situation was just a, a reaction to us having to deal with this free trade agreement. And that's when the whole industry shifted. 900 farmers in the Niagara Peninsula became 300 because they tore out all the old Nebraska grapes. And slowly the conversion took place, driven largely by some of the European uh, German families that came, Italian families that had no reservation about growing these European grapes, especially in Germany where they don't grow peaches and cherries and apricots like they do in Niagara, and they grow grapes reasonably. So for them it was not difficult, and uh, they became sort of the mainstay now everybody's converted over. And there's like 160 wineries. Oh, I've got, yeah. It's hard to keep track. So then, so Vincor. Uh, when did Vincor start, what year? Basically in 91, and it was the initial merger was Cartier, which was Chateau Gay Labatt's, mm -hmm. a, a management bio. We merged with them, and part of the reason was the distribution in the retail stores. Okay. Because they had 40, we had three. And then Jerry Schwartz decided to buy them. Jerry Schwartz? Yeah. I know the name, yeah. You don't know the name? No. <laughs> he just bought I'm learning. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. And he's, by the, yeah. he's the Henry Kravitz of Canada. So he bought rights. And uh, our group decided that maybe we should go talk to him because we don't want this guy's competition. He's a financial genius. Uh, his wife owns Indigo. We need to go down a list yeah. of things. He's probably the top CEO yeah. in the country. And uh, so we merged with them. And uh, Bright's, as you know, which was the old traditional Niagara Falls winery, and that became Midcourt. And we took it public, and we started buying wineries around the world, primarily <coughs> to bring their wines on the shelf. Kim Crawford. Zealand, Gallery from Australia, RH Phillips from California. And then I would jump in a plane and go and use that sales team to sell in a certain So mm -hmm. we're going to then fast forward 
to around 2005, and I'm in Australia. This is when you and I f first met, I think. Was it 2005 or 2004? <laughs> 15 um, years ago some yeah something years like ago. that uh and i remember i'm i'm working i'm out down at the estate of gowndry uh in western australia in mount barker western australia and uh, i remember you coming in uh part of the vincor uh and i remember you doing a presentation about uh, ice wine um and what have you so part of my Australia, yep. 10 days in like so, yeah, ten days. In, days. Yeah, it was it was an insane schedule. Like it was an insane schedule. Um, and so we we I mean we're both from here, so that's that, that was the instant connection. Uh, a CEO from Seattle, uh, uh, Rick Hannon, I think was his name. I believe is that you see. And then I remember there was the threat of a constellation takeover. Then, right in 2005. And everyone's like, no, no, too big. It's not going to happen, blah, 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 blah. And I think six months later, Constellation takes over. Take us through that. Because you were still a major shareholder of Vincor. A shareholder. Yeah. I don't major, but yeah, I was a shareholder. And it was a hostile takeover. Yeah. They, they accumulated, I don't know, 30% of the stock. And, um, and, of course, we get into negotiations, and it became less hostile as the price became more acceptable. Okay. And basically, they um, came in, took over the operation. I, I was actually planning on using it as the global platform to expand Enniskelly even more because they had such a huge muscle. It's the largest wine in the world. They had also just purchased uh, Robert Mondavi wine. Mm -hmm. And I worked with Robert a lot. He was one of my great mentors. Uh, he would throw an event, for example, in LA where he'd opened up a wine training facility. And he'd phone up and say, no, you know, we're doing this launch. <coughs> We'd really like to have a great wine. You know, we don't make dessert wine to speak of, so you want to come down and do it? Or this kind of guy. Was. And uh, so I thought this would be a great marriage. We'd serve you know, his uh, Opus and his Mondavi Reserve and use our ice wine as part of the whole Constellation. Constellation, we call that. <laughs> and um, three months later, I quit. Why? I'm glad you. I'm glad you touched on that because I want to know why. I was in Ottawa. And <laughs> I remember. I remember. I remember the news release. I remember getting the email. Yeah, you were like nobody knew. Uh, there were like maybe two people that knew. One of them was Jerry Schwartz. I called because I was going up the elevator in Ottawa to go be the MC at the Ottawa Wine Show, and uh, there was a guy in the elevator. I recognized him. It was weird. Michael Douglas was his name. And uh, he, we, I said, oh, I think we have a mutual friend. And he said, yeah, who's that? And I said, Schwartz. He goes, well, where is he? He's supposed to be joining me. We're going over to help receive an award for, who's the guy that's the Saturday Night Live Canadian? Michael? Myers? No, Mike, not Mike no, Myers? No, the guy that runs it. Oh, 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 Lauren. Mike, uh, Mike. Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels. Yeah. Right, so he was supposed to do it with Lauren. Anyway, so for whatever reason, the conversation kind of happened. The elevator. I get out, I walk up to the stage, I, we do the opening ceremony, and there's Minister of Ontario, I think it was Jim Bradley at the time. Okay. And then uh, John Manley federally. And, yep. and then at the last minute, I don't know, it just sort of came over me. I said, oh, and by the way, before you all go in, I got a bit of news. I quit. <laughs> you did? Nice. On stage. That was it. Why? Well, because I figured that way everybody wouldn't argue with me because if I went and consulted with people to talk about it, they'd talk me out of it. So this way I did it right in front of everybody. I couldn't take it back. But, but what was your reason to quit? What was your... Uh, it was corporate. The discussions we'd had weren't the same as when we started. 
so we, you know, we were taken over by a big corporation three months later. I, oh, and Carl had retired as well, because he was due to retire being 65. So he retired in September. So I thought, he's gone, and he's the you know, ha other half of the partnership that made the Wisconsin what it is. Mm -hmm. Without him making the great ice wine, I mean, my job was easy. I just had to go sell it, stand up, do a dog and pony show, do this thing. I used to be in front of a microphone or camera a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the PR in those days was PR. We didn't have this. We had radio, yeah. had podcast. Everything was PR. Now it's, you know, it's a whole different world. So at that time, it was all about PR. And I was the face of the scone. He was the winemaker. And he stayed at the winery and made wine. I went around the world and sold it. And I could just say, like, be, being abroad and, and, and being in the midst of all that, um, I found that, you know, Constellation at the time, I mean, everyone makes strategic purchasing decisions. Um, they were really looking for access to the LCBO is what they wanted. And the, the ice wine was just a bonus. Yeah, and it was the only international brand in the portfolio. Right. That's so right. When I tried to buy it back a few years later, they weren't interested in selling it. Right. So now fast forward where you had a, there was like a hiatus there where you couldn't make anything. Yeah, I was two year non-compete as usual. Then I went back to California, hang out there. Right. And now you have- So jurisdiction, jurisdictionally specific non-compete? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I, no, I don't think it was jurisdiction. I think it was just non-compete. Period. Right. I went and planted a vineyard back at the original in the skill facility, which we still own. Yeah, the nice. old packing shed. I planted a vineyard, and then this is a result of it right there, the ice wine. I only make ice wine. Right now, and, yeah. Uh, at the time, I became chair of the Vineland Research and Innovation Center, and I thought I better do it organic, because that was the cool thing. Did mm -hmm. the organic, planted five Riesling clones from around the world on four different rootstocks to do some research. So I kind of made it into a program. Huh? And then when I started giving the wine away to people, you know what? I got to do a label. I got to print this. It's expensive. I said instead, I got. I had a lot of friends when I was giving wine away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah, it's really incredible. How many people, hey, Donald, how are you doing? Yeah. Like Dino Chiesa. Actually, Dino Chiesa was the chairman of Central Mortgage and Housing. Okay. Local boy from Toro, did well. Um, he would have been Sidal's boss. So he phoned up one day and said, Donald, how you doing? I'm good, good. And we're from Friuli, so we speak the same Romansk language. It's not a dialect. And he said, listen, I got, I'm doing something blah, blah, for the opera or something or the Italian community. He said, I need some wine. And I said, you know, I said, well, if you forget, I'm gone. I'm not there anymore. Click. Hands up. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? So good good buddy. I'm just kidding. Yeah. So I bet you get a lot of those calls these days, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I put a label on it, and I now sell it. It's in Paris, Hong Kong, China. And our LCBO? No. No? No? No. Cellar door only? Uh, yes, but you have to go to Rife Winery because I tore up my license. That's right. Yeah, I tore it up because I had a fight with the excise department who were no longer taxing us because after 207, there's no excise tax on BQA wine. Right. You still have to fit all the paperwork. So since I didn't have staff anymore and I had to do all the paperwork, I just finally said, guys, but just go call the LCBO. They have a lot of the same information. No, no. <clears throat> this is federal. Talking earlier about rules. Yeah. Federal rules, mm. that's provincial, we can't talk. I said, well, I'll sign a you know, disclosure, you can have all the information. Long story short, I tore it up. So Rife is now the official retail site for Zillow Ice Wine. 
Very good to know. I did. Okay. Nice. Or full of Was that a good yeah, breaking well, point? Yeah, right? Hey. Was that a good breaking point for the two part? Uh, yeah. And do you have any questions about the particular? Up until now, no, we're no. good because we're probably. Uh, I just listed. Oh, we're right around twenty. <laughs> yeah, interesting story. We've got twenty uh, minutes on that. What's interesting now is the current situation because if you look at where the industry has come, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's just, and the other thing that people don't realize is that the, the impact it's had. Because I keep telling people the the flower industry, the greenhouse gas in Niagara, they're five times the size of the wine industry. Really? Yeah. Wow. So the wine industry gets a little bit more coverage. So I guess maybe just one more thing, I guess, maybe for our listeners to understand um, is the new potential deregulation of the LCBO. Yes. What are, what are your views on that of putting wine into grocery stores? What do you think it's going to do to the wine not, industry? Not a lot. What I think they should do is they, and I've said this for years, is they should take vintages and privatize it, leave the LCBO alone. The grocery store is cute, but you know, what's the point? Like people, there's a lot of LCBOs around. I don't think anybody's inconvenienced. And then the other thing is, where's where's the estate? You know, high-end premium wines going to go? Are they going to go to the grocery store? Yeah. It would be nice, but probably what you're going to find is boxed wine, that kind of stuff. Yeah, which yeah. is you know, who cares? You know, personally, I mean, this industry's got to build itself a quality, and you're seeing a lot of the estate wineries now building. You know, they're starting to charge. Price like California, like mm-hmm. Australia. You talked about Henschke. Mm-hmm. What's Henschke get a bottle in Australia? Oh God, I think to start is in the forties or fifty dollars. Just their entry level, right? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Like, that's the stuff they give away. That's yeah, a couple hundred dollars. Easy, a yeah. easy. And that's Australia who struggled to become premium because they started out being value added wines. New Zealand, on the other hand, I'm envious of New Zealand. They have done an amazing job internationally, and we need as an industry to get out there, do our export, and get our name around. Besides ice wine, ice wine is a great umbrella because everybody's expecting it to be expensive, great quality. We built a reputation for Canada with ice wine because psychologically the ice wines, <laughs> you know, ice Canada, yeah. Wayne Gretzky, Igloo. Gold, you know, fits. <laughs> like I lived in Taiwan and all they talked about was Ontario ice wine, nothing else, just the ice wine. Yeah, Canadian. Yeah, that's another thing that we got to get straight before yeah. we are. So it, it's become very uh, prominent. And now the table wines are falling, and then uh, you know, this whole debate about where's global warming or global climate change, whatever it's called, taking us. Yeah, we're nervous about the ice wine, but then I suppose we'll get better intensity in our red wines. Right. <laughs> but that's going to come. Just have to and bring the grow indoors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're trying that with the other subject. Right yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's round two, Don. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, round exactly. two. Well, well trying uh, to segue us in. Yeah, yeah. 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 So For stay, sure. uh, I mean, obviously we, we, we release this on a weekly basis. So, yeah. um, uh, Donald, thank you very much for coming in for this. Yes. We are, we are going to keep you around for another episode for round two. So the hot ticket, the hot item. ticket item. So please, uh, <laughs> stick around for next week's episode where Donald will be talking about, uh, we'll throw the guests a little spoiler at least just, to yeah, the, the cannabis industry. <laughs> we'll be talking about, we'll talk about weed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Um, um, you can share and care all yeah, of us. Everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, again, he's off the Apple TV. Yeah, 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 I'm done with Apple on, altogether. It's all on old to Spotify. The, to Spotify. Yeah. Okay. And uh, thanks very much to our uh, sponsors, Brand Boulevard. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. Help us help you stay informed. Ciao.
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.